so good to be with you guys. Listen, if we're that way, Steve, it's because that's who you guys attract. Because you are definitely that way. And Johnny and I and our family are just grateful for the kingdom relationship that we have with you guys. I know we only see like once a year, evidently. <laughs> but um, we just so appreciate who you are in our generation. And I'm sure that I speak for everyone in the room. Just who you are. And the hits that you've taken to be a conduit for the voice of God to our generation is um, only he can adequately thank you. So we're just grateful to be friends with you and thank you for the opportunity. I don't take it lightly to have the opportunity to speak into your lives. And uh, it is the yawner time of the day. So if you do get sleepy, it will not offend me at all if you get up and move around so you can stay awake. It might offend me if you fall asleep, so I'm just kidding. I can't really tell from up here anyway. But uh, Johnny said I should tell you what Jill Austin prophesied over the two of us years and years ago before we were doing anything ministry-wise like we're doing now. Uh, she said, she looked at Johnny and she said, you are rawhide. <laughs> like Indiana Jones. And she said, but your wife, she's silk. <laughs> and she said, you know, silk is the strongest uh, fabric that's out there. So... Unfortunately, it is having to be true many times in my life, right? Women know what I'm talking about. You find that inner strength. And uh, just whenever I get up to, um, to, to speak in, in opportunities like this, I am consumed with the only way I know how to explain it is just this mother heart of God. The tenacity, the strength, the steeliness that is that feminine heart of our God who is not only a father to the fatherless, a mother to the motherless. He is all in all that we ever could ask, think, or imagine. And so you better believe he is the mother heart as well. And so I, I feel um, just like that part of his heart for you guys so I'm not going to mother you in any kind of way, but I just, just want to share that for what it's worth. Um, I'll, yes, in just a minute. Um, and I was just also going <laughs> to, he's helping me remember things and I'm grateful. Um, I did want to just honor you, Johnny and Lou. <laughs> I asked the Lord when I was about 18, I said, God, give me the kind of husband that I have to run to keep up with spiritually. So if I'm able to... Um, keep weight off me, that is why I've been running since I was 19, <laughs> to keep up with him spiritually. 
No, um, he is my favorite person in the world. And I, I committed to the Lord that no matter where we went together and everyone who adores and likes and draws on the wisdom and the prophetic voice that he has, that I would always be his number one fan. And y'all are making it harder and harder. <laughs> so, but I am, and he knows it. And uh, I'm just grateful for him. And like he said, two of our daughters are here. I'm super relational, and so I just want to tell you kind of a little update on our family. Um, and many of you follow us, walk with us, and pray for us, and we feel it. And it is incredibly humbling and we just thank you. We are so, so grateful for those of you that when the Holy Spirit prompts you, you pray for our family and we feel it. Um, we have been through so much change this last year. It's really good. It's kind of head spinning though. Um, we raised our kids in Atlanta. That's where we pastored a church for almost 15 years. And about six or seven years ago, we moved to California and I love California. I love so many things about it. I especially adore the people, uh, if you can generalize people like that. Um, but to be honest with you, it was like one long mission trip for this, this southern girl. <laughs> and uh, so it was a very, um, in a lot of ways, a lonely place for me and probably at different times for our kids. Um, but God did so much there um, with us and through us, and we're grateful. Um, but he relocated us about six months ago to back to the south, to Nashville. And God did just a crazy thing. And for the first time in our 30-something years, he's always been very specific with us where he wanted us geographically. And so even if we moved within a city, we always knew, like, the the names of the streets that we lived on just like parallel exactly what God was doing in our lives at the time. And um, so this time we knew a change was coming and we assumed that we were in California indefinitely. And so we were asking God, where else in California would you want us? And I was shocked one day when I felt like he spoke to me. Um, well, he asked me, where do you want to live? I was like, what? No, you, that, surely this is not what's happening because this has not happened before. And it took me a while to even get in touch with my heart. What was the desire of my heart? And fortunately, the Lord spoke the same thing to Johnny um, to ask me where I wanted to live. <laughs> and my sister, one of my two sisters, lives in Nashville. So it was a, a natural fit. We have five kids and one grandson as of a couple of weeks ago. Please clap. Thank you. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, our son and his wife and our grandson live back in California, and we're going to get to go hold that baby boy uh, in a couple of weeks. We'll make it down there. And um, we have two daughters, our oldest and our youngest, in Atlanta. And we have two of them here, and they live in Nashville as well. Uh, Johnny and I are empty nesters for the first time in our lives as of about a month ago. 
And so we're in a cute little apartment and a couple of buildings over, the girls are in a cute little apartment and so we're neighbors, but we are on our own. It's really been awesome. (laughs) And uh, during the time we were in California, we were, three of our four daughters and myself were diagnosed with Lyme disease and I feel like a walking miracle. I think I've had it most of my life and didn't even know it, so it answered some questions I had about some health issues. Um, Grace has been the most challenged physically and still is, and so we are praying and declaring God's breakthrough over her. She's had a treatment that shows it is working, and um, when a bacteria like that is in your body, it, it can cause a lot of damage even on its way out because of the die-off. But we're willing for God to just cut that short anytime he wants to as well. Uh, Justice just got the treatment, and um, our youngest daughter just got the treatment. So the oldest daughter doesn't have the symptoms. Rather than go off on that rabbit trail, they did not all get bit by ticks, but um, there's more to that story, and it is an issue of injustice in our nation that I think is going to come more and more to the light um, but there is, there is good news in the middle of that. And you know what I've found, I'm sure you have too, is that whatever God doesn't do that we know is in his character and nature to do, which obviously is to supernaturally, miraculously heal our physical bodies. That is his heart. That is his nature. Jesus demonstrated that and said we would too. So if you don't have the breakthrough in, in that specific way, then it's only because he's got something better. And there's only better in him. Even if, it can't, even if you can't conceive of what could be better, it is always only increase in the kingdom of God. The increase of his government, there is no end. So he, he's constantly providing for the better. And so I believe even just in this one little area for our family of Lyme disease that, um, that as he is healing us, there are going to be issues that as a family we can help bring to the forefront, even in our nation. And so we don't take that lightly and we'll take our time about what that looks like. But I will, with the help of Jesus, get the last word on that whole issue concerning my kids. <laughs> And my body and so many other people that I'm aware of that, that have fought that. Um, while we were in California, Justice, who you will meet tonight, um, had, a, had a horrible, uh, many horrible years of incredible pain. And she ended up in the hospital for several days. And not one time did one doctor suggest what it actually was. Did not even come to as an option to look into. She went home and for a couple of months Googled, you know, and looked and researched, and she ended up diagnosing herself with endometriosis. Um, And she had, turns out, a really severe case of it. And it's another issue of injustice for, for our nation and for women, obviously. It's a huge... Um, factor in terms of infertility. Um, A lot of women, I'm sure even in this room, you grow up not knowing that painful periods are not meant to be normal. 
if it, if it causes you or your young people in your life, young women in your life, to have to stop life, something is not correct. It's not the way it was intended to be. So um, certainly not the kind of pain that she had. Anyway, long story short, the kind of surgery that actually works on it, like gets rid of it for good, is only done by a handful of surgeons in this nation. And it's not covered by insurance. So this beautiful young woman uh, raised $40,000 for her own surgery. What'd you say? In two weeks. In two weeks. Uh, went through a, a, a seven-hour surgery. Um, just so much heartache and difficulty. And the recovery was, like, so intense. And... We moved forward in things of the kingdom right in the face of the enemy, right in the face of juggling all of that. We continued to do what God has given us to do, and I love the fact that nothing took a back seat. And um, we, you know, we, we took care of each other, and no one was not prioritized the way they needed to be, but... Um, all of that is just to say, hey, this is, if that sounds familiar in your life, like this is just what we do, right? We, we, there's no other option. We have a short time here on earth to, to know God and to partner with him and to move forward and only forward and not retreat. Um, so since we moved to Nashville, um, well, before we, a year and a half ago is when she had the surgery and two years ago. So she's fully recovered and the last remnants of the Lyme disease are, are uh, being dealt with. And we're, we're excited about the future. Um, I'm excited about um, what God's doing in each of our kids' lives. And, and I, I'm not sure why God does things the way that he does, but we're definitely a prophetic family and their names that God gave us for each of them have ended up being extremely prophetic. Um, and they're having to walk that out. And they all are in, in their own journey with him. Okay, I took a little too long on that. But you know, you get to talking about your kids. and um, Okay. Another really awesome part of our story right now. Um, over the last year, we have had huge breakthrough related to strategic plans for um, Restore 7. Johnny and I found ourselves kind of in this place of, wow, we could just kind of maintain where we are and continue to travel and speak and, and write and create content for the body of Christ. Um, or we could embrace uh, something different and allow God to create something that's bigger than the two of us that would outlive the two of us. So we opted for that, uh, putting our, our own lives where our mouths have been, which is we need to think legacy is the body of Christ. We need to think long-term. We need to think generationally. And so Restore 7 is the name of our ministry. Restore is, is just all about restoring the, these seven faces of who God is and what he's really like. And the nuances of the seven ways that he loves us through each area of culture, restoring that to the earth, um, partnering with God to see heaven come to earth. And so we, 
in short, we have a, a, a few very specific things that we're working on related to Restore 7, and they're all like so much bigger than us. We need our team to grow, and so God has been adding to our team. And um, one of the things that we're working on is a documentary um, about what God's doing and has done in Peru, where Johnny's originally from. He's born there. His parents were missionaries there for over 50 years. God took the, the nation of Peru from 90-something percent extreme poverty rate to now 2.5 percent poverty, extreme poverty rate. It just in a matter of, was it 20 years? Less than 20 years, and there's a whole prophetic story behind that. I'm sure there's more to the story than he and I even know, but the part of the story we know, we're telling. We're hoping it's the first of many documentaries that Restore 7 can produce and get out there and just examples, tangible examples of what it looks like to partner with God to see a whole nation shift and change. So Johnny wants me to tell you that we were involved catalytically in that process of seeing that change. And so that's, it's not just a story in general we're, we're telling. It's a story that, that Johnny specifically lived. So we're excited. That's going to come out sometime this year. Um, we are working on, as he said, uh, Rise. Rise is not just a handbook. Rise is a global community of reformers. As, as Johnny said earlier, RISE stands for Reformers Influencing Society Every Day. And uh, our heart's desire is to see the body of Christ <laughs> awakened. We want to see the body of Christ awakened into the bigger picture, the narrative, the story that he is telling through his sons and daughters of his goodness and the nuances of what it looks like when he brings his solutions to every problem that exists in every area of culture through his sons and daughters as an expression of his love and his generosity to the earth. Um, we want to see the body of Christ awakened. We want to see the body of Christ equipped. And we want to see the body of Christ connected with each other because the kingdom of God is built in relationships, relationship with him, obviously, relationships with each other. So we want to leave when it's our turn and we're gone out of here. We want to leave a, 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 in place a, a, a connected army of reformers who have strong community with one another centered around unity of purpose, unity of purpose. So every one of us was wired to carry at least one of these primary faces of God. God is, in his fullness, is way more than seven. But in his humility, just like he gave us a, a rainbow that only, our eyes can only perceive seven distinct colors from it, but that rainbow in reality is a limitless array of colors. And so it's the same as the, the seven spirits of God, the seven aspects of who he is. He, he is these seven faces, and he gave us these, these very ordinary, like everybody has these experiences with seven distinct areas of culture, family, education, uh, entertainment. I can't remember them all. Government economy, etc. Religion is one of them. So he's given us 
in his humility, this template, this way to like experience him and this way to, in an ideal world, experience the true him, the ways that he loves us, mountain of economy, he is our provider, mountain of family, he's our papa, mountain of education, he is wisdom, he's the best teacher there's ever been. And when he teaches you, and when you experience the, edu the education system the way it was meant to be experienced as a reflection of him and his heart and his love, it, you, you go through it as a student who knows that they are more important than what someone's even trying to teach them. So just as an example, like these areas of culture were meant to be where we encounter what he's really like and what his heart really is towards us. So as his sons and daughters who are awakened, we have the privilege and the opportunity to take the way that he wired each of us and our passion for these areas of culture and become conduits for his love and what it looks like in that area of culture. And that's really just the simplicity of heaven coming to earth. These seven areas, these seven spirits of God are in heaven. And so as we, as we achieve the ultimate goal here on earth, which is the knowledge of the glory of God filling the earth, as we achieve that, we are personally growing in the knowledge of God. And then we reflect and make known the knowledge of God that, that we so love and adore. The, the, the kingdom really is that simple. And the amazing thing about the humility of our God is that there are a lot of people who are already doing that that don't know they're doing that. And some of them are already believers and they are sons and daughters of God. Some of them are not. They don't yet know that they're sons and daughters of God. But they're already partnering with God, not even knowing that it's him, because we're all made in his image, and they are already bringing solutions, generation after generation, solutions to these areas of uh, problems in these areas of culture. So the kingdom of God has always been among us. It's always been advancing, but we are awakening to what's actually been happening, and, and it will grow and increase even exponentially year after year after year. So we're really excited about the Rise Global Community and how to awaken, equip, and connect reformers. Sometime this year, we are in the process and it's been so stretching but so exciting as a 52-year-old woman who does not know hardly anything about technology to build an app. And we have an amazing team that we were able to hire who are really good at what they do. And this will be an app that you, yes, even you can download on your phone. If you don't have a smartphone, this is the time that you gotta just go ahead and embrace the new thing and get the smartphone so that you are ready when the app comes out. And the app is gonna be so super easy to use and you will be able to create a very simple profile about yourself, about what you're passionate about, if you have areas of expertise and interest, and it will just automatically help you find other people in your city and your region and even across the globe who have the same passions and interest. And you'll be invited to attend what we're gonna call hubs. A hub can exist either um, online, 
So you'll be able to press a button and connect with people that are interested in what you're interested in on the other side of the world who speak your same language. Fortunately, people are learning English since we don't learn their languages as easily. Um, and you'll also be able to attend hubs that exist locally at a coffee shop or in your church. We're going to work very closely with local churches to help them stay current with what God is doing in terms of the bigger picture of reformation. We want to uh, empower local pastors to be a part and have a voice into reformation and really increase their own spheres of influence so that they, they can better partner with the people that God has sent them in their congregation to do what they do all week long and not just on Sundays at their churches. So anyway, Rise Global Community, one last project that we are so excited about that we've just begun, and it's gonna take years to unfold, but God put it in our hearts this year to, to file Set, in addition to the nonprofit that we have, Restore 7, to file seven new distinct 501c3s called Restore Government, Restore Family, Restore Education, Restore Religion, etc. And that's the part where it really gets bigger than, than just this mom and pop here. Um, we have already filed the first two, Restore Government and Restore Family is in process. Restore Government, we have our first project up and running, and it is um, called Christian Center for Public Life. It's a training center for, uh, at this point, only for Hispanics from Latin America. We saw a need um, among the Hispanic churches in Latin America, they are being hit hard with an onslaught and, an, and a socialist agenda. We've seen Venezuela fall under that temporarily. And uh, so this training center, it's in Washington, D.C. We have a, a office three blocks from the White House. And we have an amazing staff there that are each experts in their own right, and they bring in Hispanic leaders from the body of Christ all over Latin America and train them in how to be involved in politics, anywhere from training potential presidential candidates to people being involved with their Congress uh, to young, younger people who are looking into the idea of going into government in some capacity. So we have many training programs and tracks that people can choose from. And our plan is to reproduce this um, in English as well. So um, Restore Family, I'll just give you a little teaser about that. It's not going to be focused on uh, the things that we disagree with in present day culture. It's going to be focused on uh, what healthy family is and, and how to help families be healthy. And we're going to stand up for what we're for rather than what we're against. So we're, we're excited about that whole aspect. We have um, hired executive directors for each of those. And it's, it's just really exciting what God has given us, the, uh, the energy and the provision to begin rolling out. Part of that provision is... Chris Keel, who Johnny introduced earlier. Chris, come on up. Um, you know, Johnny and Lowe is like the most laid-back, 
prophetic voice I think you might have ever heard. He is not the typical um, type A personality. <laughs> I may, may be wired a little bit more that way than he is. And so he, I, I have needed a lot of help with all these new things that were getting up and off the ground. And so we've been asking God for a while now to provide more help. And it just so happens that um, he showed up in our lives about four months ago. We have mutual good friends that he may tell you about here. And Chris at the time was um, a part of launching a really amazing ministry that I want him to tell you briefly about. And um, he also, as Johnny said, happens to be Justice's boyfriend. So yeah, we're keeping it in the family. Um, and so Chris is from Cincinnati, and now he's also from Nashville. Yeah. Awesome. Well, so the Israel story is, you guys can clap. <laughs> the project she's talking about is something called the Israel story. Um, I think at its core, it is a declaration of the goodness of God. And, you know, as we're talking about tonight and today, you know, really, it's so important that we get this part right. And one of my favorite things about Israel and the Jewish people is it's just like this trophy that God has over all the nations that's saying, I made a covenant and there's nothing that you can do um, to basically take this. This is the apple of my eye. Um, but with that obviously comes a lot of contention, right? And so we see that in modern day. I mean, they're saying right now that anti-Semitism is at its all-time high um, compared to what it was before World War II. Um, and I don't say that to give any credence to the, to the enemy. I actually say it because this is an incredible opportunity for the church to rise up and say, we're going to support this. Uh, we're going to support the Jewish people. We're going to support what God is doing in Israel. Um, and we haven't historically at, at certain points in time. And so it's really, really important that we get this right. So the Israel story was done by this amazing guy named John Myers. He started one of the first Messianic synagogues in Jerusalem in the 80s. Um, it's a seven-hour teaching. It's totally free. You can get it on your apps, whether it's iOS or Android. Just go to the Israel story. Um, if you guys do Bible studies in your home, you could host one. We have host materials online. Um, and it's just an amazing, amazing tool. We broke it into 20-minute episodes um, that just walks the church through the relationship that they have with Israel and the Jewish people, the calling that's on the church. Really, we have a, we have a calling to be objects of God's love and mercy to the Jewish people. And it's really, really important that we get this right. Um, so also another thing that you guys can do if you're excited about Israel and this stuff, go on this tour happening in August. Johnny and Elizabeth are leading, is it the David tour? Yeah, so the David tour, um, it's 10 days. I think one of the best things you can do if you want to get connected to this is go put your feet on the ground in Israel. Go experience it, go live it, breathe it, eat it. Um, it's one of the really, it's one of the huge ways that we can stand with the Jewish people right now. And so... Um, I just can't recommend this enough. TheIsraelStory.org. Download the app. It's free. All the stuff is free. We just want, we want the church to have the right uh, heart posture towards the Jewish people in Israel right now. It's extremely important and part of the calling that we have. It's going to be very pleasing to God, too, because God is very, very excited, and uh, he, wants, he wants us to partner with him at this level. So, so true. Very good. Thank you so much. The last trip that we took to Israel, we decided to, um, last summer, we decided to change the pace a little bit, and we were able to take uh, people of all ages. So we had some elderly people with us, we had some very young people with us, and everyone was able to keep up. We 
one of the things that's hard about Israel, if you've ever been on a tour before, is um, usually you're in a different hotel every couple of nights. So we are in two different hotels the first three days, and then after that, the entire time we're in one hotel in Jerusalem, so you can kind of really unpack and settle in and, and rest in between and all that. So uh, we want to make it a doable trip. So... Um, We sold out of the bundles of books, but we have plenty of these left. The last thing I want to tell you about this is we took everything that we've ever written, studied, researched about Reformation and the Seven Mountains, and we condensed it. We took all the stories out. We made it super easy and quick to go through, and uh, Johnny and I actually authored this together. We loved the cover so much that I forgot to put our names on it. <laughs> so that'll be the next run. So this will be a very special edition. Um, <laughs> and we then took what we wrote and we used it as a script and created an online course. And the online course is uh, at rise7.org, rise7.org. And we knew that in order to make the Rise Global community that I was telling you about truly successful, if you're going to connect with other reformers across the globe, you want to make sure you're on the same page so that when you do connect with each other and you talk about the areas of interest and passion that you have and you see what God is up to in those areas of culture, you want to be past all the, okay, do they believe this or that? So this book and the online video course, which happens to be seven hours and seven minutes accidentally, um, both of those, which are the mirrors of each other, you can choose how you want to go through it, those are the only prerequisite for joining Rise Global Community so that when everyone connects, they're on the same page. So if you already bought this, you're halfway there to being ready to, to join the Rise Global community as soon as the app comes out. In the back of the book and at the end of the online video course, you're going to find a code. And you could cheat if you wanted to, but um, you will find a code, and the code is what you'll put into the app to give you access to the global community. So... Uh, The app is not available yet. Uh, you will automatically be receiving emails from us if you go through the course to let you know when the app is available. We're going to blast it all over, so you'll hear about it even if you're not on our email list. But you can get on the email list and get Johnny's prophetic words that way, too, on our website, restore7.org. Okay. Um, we're going to sign books after this session and... I just love that. That's my favorite because I like to be one-on-one -on -one with you guys and just see a, a glimpse of your heart and what God's doing in your life. So we'd love to, to interact with you afterwards today in the foyer area. Okay, I'm going to jump in to what the Lord gave me to share with you. Um, first, let me just tell you what I'm going to tell you. <laughs> That's what my mentor told me I should do. <laughs> so that you'll understand when I go on rabbit trails that I do have a train of thought that I'm going to get through. 
So, silk is coming at you. <laughs> the title of this message is Let It Be Known. Let it be known. And you will understand why by the end. What I want to cover with you is where we've been, where we're going, and where we are right now. Um, as we were saying earlier, like God wants us to learn to think big picture like him. He created us to think that way, but we have to practice it and get comfortable with it. We're learning to think prophetically. We're learning as, as individuals to, to access the voice of God for ourselves and to recognize it when it comes through other people as well. As a generation of believers, I think we're learning to value the prophetic voice um, like never before. And I think God is continuing to stretch us in this area of the prophetic by saying, are you willing for me to not only speak to you like what you need to hear today, but would you let me speak to you what you need to hear for the, for the year so we, we've grown to expect that, and I, I love that we have new prophetic words at the beginning of each year. But I feel him this year, and I've heard other people say the same thing. I've, I've heard him say, would you allow me to teach you to think in terms of decades now? Could you be stretched just a little bit more? And so what I heard from the Lord this year was in terms of decades, um, and I'd, I'd like to share with you uh, three main things today. One, I want to pick up where I left off last year, and you don't have to remember because I'm going to remind you. I, I spoke to you and I shared with you at the very end a prophetic dream that I had. And the topic is who the enemy is and isn't and how to position our hearts with all that is coming to light right now. And the second thing I want to talk to you about is this big picture sweep of the previous decade and of this next decade. And I want to make a connection just very briefly to how God gave it to me uh, from the time period of Deborah and the time period of Gideon. And that's the last decade and this next decade. And then finally, where we are now. As I was saying earlier, and Johnny was saying earlier, the goal of everything, and I, I gave this to you guys last year, is the knowledge of God. And the way that I, I remember that every day for myself is, why am I here? Oh, yeah, I live to know the real him, to make the real him known, to learn to love and be loved. And if I can connect anything I'm doing at any moment of the day to one of those four things, I know I'm advancing. I know that what I'm doing is worth doing. Um, and so it's all about the knowledge of God. Even if you sat, just worst case scenario, close your ears, Johnny and Lou. Worst case scenario, if you sat in your home the rest of your life and did not leave, but you personally grew in the knowledge of God's heart for you, even just one little drop of it, you are a part of advancing the knowledge of God in the earth. And we don't want to stop there. You can unplug your ears now. But we are, we are inextricably connected to the spirit realm because we are spirit. And so every time you choose to believe the correct character and nature of God, 
and, and know that he's good and only good and he's a redeemer and he's, he's moving you forward, those, and that he loves you, all those basics, you are shifting something in the spirit realm. You're a part of, of that veil becoming more and more thin between heaven and earth and the kingdom being fully manifest in the earth. You're drawing on the character and nature of God into this realm. So uh, those are the three things I want to cover. And I'm just going to jump in right here. Last year, I shared with you a dream that I believe continues to be relevant. I'm going to very quickly give you an overview of that dream. I feel like this might be the most important thing that I'm going to tell you, um, even though I'll probably talk about it the shortest amount of time um, of these three points. Who is the enemy? So it's really complicated and messy, and I think it could get potentially messier as things begin to unfold in our nation. And we understand what's actually been happening for generations right underneath uh, our noses. And when, when we're in this place of contending for somebody, for justice, you know, for somebody to get in trouble for something, like God show that part of who you are, the innocent victims that are, that are going to be, you know, brought more and more to the light. In the last decade, we really woke up to this, this understanding that there is human trafficking and sex trafficking, and there are people that are being victimized all over the world related to this glaring issue. But it's happened for probably hundreds of years. But all of a sudden, there's something in us as a society, not just as believers, but as a society that is awakening to that part of the knowledge of God, that he's not okay with that. And um, so, for example... Uh, where was I going with that? Let me just think a second. What, what? Oh, the dream. Yes, thank you. So as, as we're awakening to that reality, um, it, there's something in us that cries out for people to get caught, right? And that's, that's righteous anger. That's, that is to want the justice of God, which is actually not vengeance. It's making all things back into right standing with God. Justice and righteousness are, are part of the same thing. Um, in that place of, of history that we find ourselves, we're learning where to position our hearts because it's hard to, to cry out for justice and not be angry with someone. But the reality is there is only one true enemy. The rest of us are sons and daughters of God. Some have, we all have the freedom to choose not to be a son or daughter of God. But we all at least need to have that opportunity to make that choice. And so deception comes in through the one enemy. Quick version of the dream that I had. I um, was in a green room waiting behind stage to go out of the green room. So I think of that room as like a place of not performing. It's a place of authenticity. It's a place of like conversation and interaction. And I was sitting with a lot of people in the room and in the dream, I knew instinctively that I could choose who I wanted to associate with and connect with, talk with in the room. 
Um, and just kind of one by one, Holy Spirit in the dream would highlight a person, and I would think, is that the person I want to talk to, or is that the person? And it was a variety of people. For example, my sister, one of my sisters was in there, and um, I, she's the one that I probably would have preferred to talk to the most, I felt the most comfortable with. We have history together, and we'd have fun talking. Um, I knew Johnny was in there, and in the dream, he represented to me truth. I knew if I talked with him, I would have a truthful conversation, and I love truth. Um, there was another person who walked into the room, and she uh, represented to me in the dream uh, just the epitome of an innocent victim. And so my heart was really drawn to her. I just wanted to go to her and just check on her and see how she was doing and even pray for her. And um, the least likeliest person in the room that I wanted to talk to was the one that, that Holy Spirit had me go stand next to. Before I tell you who that person was, there was a TV, an old, the kind that sits on the floor, the big box, um, black and white TV in the room, and it was flashing back and forth between the media, not the media, the news, the news, and a very religious church program, a typical old-time religious church program. And it was flashing back and forth between the two. And Holy Spirit had me go stand next to the person that was the least likeliest one that I wanted to associate with. In fact, I was scared of her. I was intimidated by her, and um, she, her face, like the TV, was going back and forth between two faces. One was the face of a woman that, uh, to me, represented like truly, I don't say this lightly, but truly um, a, someone that is partnering with the spirit of Jezebel. And the other face that was back and forth on this woman was the face of Hillary Clinton, Okay, so this is, again, this is not a political statement. This is my dream, so this is just a dream. And I, you know, she was the Hillary Clinton that I think of now, like someone that I just, I wouldn't even know what to say to her, um, but I was aware of what I think most people are, are aware of now, that, that she had been accused of a lot of things and a lot of things that she had not yet been accused of, she had probably done. And I, I went and stood next to her, shoulder to shoulder, and the Holy Spirit came on me in a very powerful way, and I said very quietly in the room, I said, turn down the TV, and someone immediately heard me and turned it down, and when they did, I began to have her heart towards God. I was like a conduit for her heart towards God. And it was as if it was the first time ever that this, this person had ever been able to connect to God. And I experienced this reality. It was the most heavy reality that, that I think a person could ever feel. It was this all at once reality of who I was in relationship to God, in relationship to God's purpose, his original purpose for my life, and how far I was from it. And how much I had partnered with pure evil. And all that had been lost in my life and in other people's lives. 
And all of it just fell on me like a thing of bricks all in one moment. And I began to cry out this woman's voice to the Father. And it was a cry for mercy. It was a cry for help. It was a cry for, of repentance. I mean, the most true, authentic, real repentance. That kind of repentance felt so good. It's one of the best feelings I've ever had in my life in this dream, this feeling of just true, utter repentance. And as she and I, through my voice, cried this out, we fell on our faces and every person in the room fell on their faces with their own true, authentic cry for mercy and repentance. And the, the, the walls to the room that we were in fell out. And as far as I could see in the dream, it was just the earth covered with people falling on their faces and crying out in the most raw, true, authentic cry for mercy and repentance. And I woke up physically, literally crying. And the Holy Spirit immediately began to speak to me. And he said what he said in 2 Chronicles 5.18, that he has given us the ministry of reconciliation. 2 Corinthians, what did I say? Oh, Chronicles, no, it's Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 5.18 he has given us this ministry of reconciliation that the Father gave Jesus and Jesus gave to us. So what does it mean to be a reconciler? I don't know, but I know we're going to learn. I know we're going to learn how to position our hearts. And, and what I do know is that there's only one enemy. And it's going to be awfully tempting at key moments to want to see sons and daughters of God who don't yet know that they are as the enemy. So as things continue to unfold, let's keep asking Holy Spirit how to position our hearts, how to cry out for justice, how to um, celebrate for victims when justice comes, but at the same time to 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 be a conduit of the Father's heart, which is to reconcile people to himself. Those who have, who have been pawns of the one enemy and partnered with evil in our generation and in past generations. He's going to teach us how to do it, how to position our hearts. I just had it come to mind when Jesus, is it, he turned to Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. Oh, think about how much he loved Peter. Think about how much he loved him, but he was willing to call out the enemy that he was partnering with in that moment. And I don't think his love for Peter in that moment changed one bit. So I know he can teach us. So how do we know where the enemy is? We can know who he is, but how do we know where he is? Where is he being partnered with? Because that's where justice needs to come. And it starts inwardly. 
And then to the degree that God gives you influence and a voice in your areas of influence, he wants us to begin to call out where we see the enemy. So in my simple mind, the way that we know where the enemy is is anywhere where the face of God has been distorted. To yourself, to people in your family, to people that you have influence with. All right, the second area that I wanted to share with you, just what God has shown me prophetically, um, is this big picture sweep of, pre of the previous decade and this next decade and the connection that they both have to this time period of Deborah and the time period of Gideon. So, It gets a little confusing, but I just, just to get it on the record, I'm going to say it, and if you don't track with this part, don't worry about it. But the 2010s, I believe, are um, very connected to Psalm 70 through 79, and you see that in the Hebrew calendar. Um, we are in the Hebrew calendar year of 5780, so... For example, 2010 would have been the year 5770. That's right, yeah, 5770. So I, there are layers of truth that God hides in everything he does. I'm not saying that Psalm 70 was written originally for this one purpose of coordinating with 2010. I'm just saying that's how God spoke to me about that particular year and those, these decades. Um, in the 2010s, you will even read, if you kind of study into it a little bit, Psalm 70 through 79, there is a common theme, and I'm going to say the theme is this, the realization of who the real enemy is, and it's all about, as Johnny says, it's all about seeing. So seeing lots of things, but specifically seeing who the real enemy is. You'll hear in those Psalms, David calling out over and over again, save me from my enemy, save me from my enemy. I believe the 2020s, the decade we just began, correlates to Psalm 80 through 89. And in those Psalms, there is a specific theme that, that I believe uh, is this. It's the realization of our need for restoration. So the 2010s, that decade that we just came out of, is the realization of who the real enemy is. The 2020s, the realization of our need for restoration. Now, we have to get used to thinking um, on several levels at one time, okay? So we're thinking for ourselves individually. What is God doing in my life, in my journey with him? What is he doing in, in the collective picture in the earth right now? What is he doing in the spirit realm and what is he doing in the natural realm? They all gel together and reflect each other in different ways. But if you think about this, I believe we're going to look back and find out in the natural that during the 2010s, up until right now, we have been as a nation, and because we're a lead nation in the earth, as humanity, we have been going through a decade of an understanding of who the real enemy is in the natural. Like people that have partnered with evil in an organized, very intentional way. 
But the same is true in the spirit. We've been learning to see that. So the 2020s, this decade we're entering into, I believe this realization of our need for restoration. I believe in the natural. We are waking up in this decade as, a, as humanity. We're waking up to the reality that we need restoration in the earth. And this, God has positioned the big picture story of what's been happening in the earth intentionally because as this understanding, wow, we need to be restored. Who can restore us? We get to raise our hands and volunteer. So he's been preparing the way for reformers to come to the mountains and to be welcomed in the mountains. The 2030s, the decade that is coming after that, I'm just going to throw this out there as an example of us learning to think in decades long term. It might feel irrelevant right now, but I believe it helps us to see down the road. Uh, the 2030s would correlate to Psalm 90 through 99. And whereas we had the realization of who the real enemy is, and then the realization in this decade of our need for restoration, um, in the 2030s, it will be the realization of our need to be established, our need to be established. It's a common theme and word in those Psalms. Uh, establish me, O God. Let's see, there's a scripture I wanted to read about that. Well, I don't have it here, but I won't take the time. Anyway, establish us, O God. When you look into that and you study into it a little bit, establish means accepted. Um, when you think about establishing the church, the body of Christ, when you think about establishing reformers in the mountains, you're, you're talking about us being accepted as believers. I don't know, I don't get into all the long, you know, the theology of end times and all that, but I do believe that there will be a significant period of time where Christians, generally speaking, when we show up with our intimacy with God and our ability to hear his voice and hear his solutions from heaven and implement them into practical areas of society, we will be celebrated. We will be looked for and sought out. And so that, the 2030s, I see this theme as the world's realization that, that, that we need to be established and accepted. Um, so the 2010s were a time of all about seeing. When you look at the Hebrew um, numbers associated with 5770, it's all about seeing. When you look at 5780s, it's all about the, the mouth, the voice, speaking, and the breath. Um, it is through our speaking out the solutions from heaven and the fact that God even cares about these areas of culture, through speaking that out, the world will understand what we want to do as it relates to restoration. One of the things I was recently telling Johnny is I said, I think we need, we need, to, we need to write like a paper that's, that's very meaningful, that is almost like talking points, that explains where we're all on the same page when we talk about Reformation, when we talk about the Seven Mountains, when we talk about showing up in society. How do we do that? Because you know what? It scares people. 
when we show up and say, oh, I'm going to take my mountain, you know, I, and they should be scared. Like, there are other people that when they say that, they really mean it. And we know what we mean by that, but we need to be more clear in the way that we communicate in front of the world and with our own hearts. Like, what do we mean by that? We, we aren't going to go conquer the mountain. We're going to show up and serve and love in such a way that people are jealous for the intimacy that we have with our God and they want to know the God that we know. And if we show up in the right way, they're going to be so excited about the solutions that come through the sons and daughters of God. And they're going to be so excited when we show up and we celebrate the way they've partnered with God and brought solutions that we can say, that solution you brought, that is like really reflecting the God that I know as a Christian. Thank you. Did you know that like you probably got that from God? That could heal someone's perspective of God and of of his sons and daughters. It could make them go, oh, I could be one of you after all. Um, okay, so the, this next decade, all about the speaking. So we're going to speak out these solutions. In the 2030s, um, the realization of our need to be established and accepted as reformers, it's uh, the word that I interpreted it to mean. I hope I'm right. But um, the 5790s, the essence of the number that, that fits with the 90s in Hebrew is all about submitting. It's a picture of um, a person bent over. There's a submitting. It's all about the humility of God coming through us. It's a humbling thing when people look to you for answers. When they expect you to represent God. Like, we've wanted it for so long. What are we going to do when we finally really have it? We're going to go in very low. We're going to go in in humility. And so it's a decade of seeing, the next decade of speaking, and the next decade of submitting in humility to this place of being reformers and, and restoring the face of God in these areas of culture. There's so much work to be done, and it's going to be so fun. If you feel like you're so far along that you don't have a part on the front lines of this, then determine that you're going to be the best cheerleader there ever was, the best spiritual mom, the best spiritual dad for those that are going to find themselves on the front lines, seeking God for the actual solutions and changes that need to happen in these areas of culture. They need us. They need our wisdom and our, our depth and our roots that we have to come around them and celebrate them and cheer for them. Thank you. So how does that connect to Deborah, uh, the last decade, and how does this decade that we're entering into connect to Gideon? Judges 4 is where we find the story of Deborah, at least one of the places. And just want to tell you a few quick things about Deborah. Her name 
is very interesting what it means. It means orderly motion like a bee. So when bees are doing what they're supposed to be doing, they go, it looks kind of erratic, but they're actually very intentionally going from plant to plant and cross-pollinating. It's an orderly motion. They are moving fast, quick, but there's order to it. There's purpose to it. So Deborah represents where we've come out of this last decade. Why do we need to know where we've been? Because with God, again, everything increases. It moves forward. So we take with us into this next decade what he's taught us before in the last decade. And we, we learn to be as intentional with him and what he gives us as he is with what he chooses to give us. So even in that, we're making known the knowledge of God because we're, we're, we're displaying in our own lives an aspect of who God is. He's intentional, okay? So Deborah uh, was born in a time where the Canaanites were harassing Israel. Uh, Israel was, and if I get some of this history wrong, please just forgive me. I'm not a theologian here, but... Um, Canaanites represent, when you go to the original meaning of that, they represent uh, mammon and greed. And I like to even think of it as just the simple thing of this. Canaanites, for, for us today, represent the lie about God related to him being a good provider. And that... That affects everything in the earth. It affects everything in our personal lives. If you don't know that God will provide for you, then you are constantly trying to figure out how to provide for yourself, emotionally, physically, financially, entertainment. You leave him out of everything because you don't expect him to provide. And so it's a really... Uh, really foundational place where the enemy gets us trapped in a lie. So here Deborah is with her bee self, and she is alive in the time where this lie about God is rampant. This is for the purpose of prophetically seeing now. And um, she also was, she came into leadership as a judge. She was the fifth Nope, she was the fourth judge. And um, she was in the time of Barak's leadership. So just to kind of state the obvious, we've just come through a decade where we had President Barack Obama in office. There was a time period of his leadership in the earth. And again, he's not the enemy, nor is he our savior, wherever you fall on, on that plane of things, uh, but his name means lightning. So there has been a storm in this last decade. There was a storm in Deborah's generation, and under his leadership, she ended up becoming a judge, and I want to read to you a few sentences that I got from my, uh, it's from the Women's Study Bible Commentary. And I couldn't find, I don't know how to give credit to a specific person who wrote this, but it's from that Bible. Uh, it says a lot about her that I think is worth reading. And here, how this relates to us prophetically 
in the decade we just came from. She displayed her leadership under a tree near her home by discussing and suggesting solutions to people with problems. The civil court system was inept. The military was too weak to defend national borders. The priesthood of what had been a theocracy was impotent and ineffective. Normal life was no longer possible. And thus, Deborah became a judge and finally a deliverer of her people in time of war. She was given a strategy by God, and it says Barak in Scripture. It says Barak wavered. She not only joined the drive to raise an army, but also gave the strategy. God ended up delivering them, and the prophetic companies of, Dave, of Deborah's went up into the mountain to see the enemy. So again, this is from the last decade of seeing. She went up into the mountain to see the enemy. Then another person appears on the scene. At the time, this is, I'm away from the commentary for a moment. At the time of all of this, they were going to go up against the Canaanites. Um, Deborah was under, um, she rallied the army, but the army was technically underneath um, the, what is his name? Jabin, I hope that's right. Let me just skip that in case I'm wrong on that. Okay, so the bad guy, the king of the bad guys at the time, do you love the way I'm telling this story? Stay with me. Um, his name was Sisera. He was the Canaanite king. And Sisera escaped and got away and thought he was gonna go hide with a family that he felt would be on his side and that was known for typically being on his side. If you know things that are going on in our country right now, this is so significant. So into the tent of this family that he felt safe with, he thought was one of him, he goes in and hides and he asks for water. J.L., who had usually been for the Canaanites, whose name means um, it's a kind, of, a kind of a goat that is known for climbing mountains. A mountain climber who didn't know she was a mountain climber. In that moment, she made a key decision, and Scripture doesn't tell us why, but she decided to not give him water, but give him milk to make him really tired and sleepy and want to just collapse and go to sleep. And he went to sleep, and she covered him up, and she ends up literally taking his life. And the way that she did it is quite prophetic as well. You know the story. She takes the hammer and the, the, the peg that she normally would secure her tent with, what she would normally build her life with, she took and drove into the head of the enemy. Again, her name means mountain climber. So there's, 
there's this atmosphere of the lie, Canaanites, the lie that God is not a provider. He's not showing up. Y'all figure this out on your own. When God's doing something so significant behind the scenes and he's awakening Deborah's and Jael's. And if David can be Davidina, then Deborah's and Jael's can be, you know, men in our generation too. And, and the reality is, is Deborah started near her home, just doing what she knew to do and helping people solve their problems. And then God plucked her from that place into a position of true authority as a judge in the nation. And from that place, she knew that God was not happy with the way Israel was being oppressed generation after generation, I think it was like for 40 years or something, by the Canaanites. And um, back to the commentary, it says, Deborah's compassion had been awakened by the atrocities suffered by her people. Our compassion has been awakened. She arose to make herself available and she was victorious as she herself trusted God. Those are big words. Only God knows how big those words are for each of you. She, he, trusted God. Did you do a little trusting of God the last decade? Then she inspired others within her sphere of influence with that same trust. It really is that simple. So I see that story of Deborah as being such a prophetic picture of where we've come through the last season with the Lord um, in, in the earth. There is an enemy's head that has already been put to death. And what happens when you cut the head off of a snake? It sometimes keeps moving. That's all it is. Don't be afraid. That is literally all that is left. When fear is present, love is not. They cannot exist in the same moment. And we need... We need to embrace this place of, of how much God loves us and how he's been fighting for us and will continue to fight for us, us being all of us, not just those of us who know we need to be fought for. And if we're in a place of fear, we're gonna have a hard time seeing this year. Okay, so... A little bit more about that story. The reality is if Moses, generations before, had wiped out this enemy, the Canaanites, there would not have been a need for Gideon to have to do it. Uh, actually, that's the Midianites. I put that in the wrong place. All right, I'm going to tell you that in just a minute. That was Judges 4, the last decade. Now, the next decade and where I feel like we are headed is in Judges 6 
with the story of Gideon. All right, Gideon was the next judge. He was the fifth judge, five representing the number of grace, something that I believe God has done in recent years has helped us find this place of grace in his heart and find the healthy place of grace. Um, you know what I mean, where you're not like so far into grace that you won't call anything sin, but the kind of grace where we know we weren't created to perform or try to be perfect, that's a waste of our time because it's already been taken care of. Now we need to be about our father's business in our imperfect way and love other people while they're imperfectly walking with God too. Um, so he was the fifth judge, and he was someone, he was described as someone that people would go to for righteous perspective. A judge in that generation was used to declare and to create solutions. And I've never, until I started studying into this, I never thought of ourselves as like judges. But in the spirit realm, that really is at the heart of what a true reformer is. You know, someone who's willing to not just, I mean, I could say that as a Christian or I could say that as a believer, a follower of Christ, but unfortunately many people stop with this idea of, okay, I'm saved, and they just kind of park right there. And I, I use the word reformer in a way to say someone who's chosen to, to move forward in their relationship with God. So a reformer in, in, in a sense is like these judges of, of the Old Testament in that they were really there and they were positioned by God to help them solve problems, help them make righteous decisions, to declare truth into a situation. And, and people loved them. They were grateful for them. So again, it speaks of a position of honor that God is inviting us into, and as we step into it, we'll be more and more accepted. Um, Gideon, his name means, very interesting, his name means hewer down, like you hew something or you cut something down, cutter off, um, you, if you know the story, then you know uh, Gideon eventually in his story ends up going to cut down this wooden idol that his father had and he goes in the middle of the night cuts it down and then he uses it for wood I love this part he uses it for wood to make a fire to burn a sacrifice to God on that's what's happening right now the evil that is being exposed and the justice that will come will knock down and cut off the plans of the enemy that have all just been, they will be exposed as lies and we will literally use all of that as flames for what we're going to offer up to the Lord, which is nothing less than heaven on earth. Yes. So with between Deborah being judge and Gideon being judge, 
Gideon was judged later, like in, later in his life, not usually the time of the story that you're used to learning about him, which I'm going to talk about in a second. But if you fast forward 40 years, the, the accomplishment that Deborah had in her generation lasted for 40 years. But then it says, the Lord delivered them, the Israelites, into the hands of the Midianites, so they'd been oppressed by Canaanites. Now they're oppressed by Midianites. And now I'm going to read to you what I started to read to you earlier. Midianites means, for our purposes, prophetically, it, it means strife and conflict. Basically, it's a place where there is no love. There is no unity. It's constant conflict and strife. We got some conflict and strife going on in the earth right now. So Israel was oppressed by the Midianites, interestingly enough, for seven years. So why does God wait to step in? Why did he wait seven years? What, is, what does that mean for us now? What did it mean for them then? What does it tell us about God? It's all about the knowledge of God. So what does that tell us about God? I believe it tells us, because seven is a number in Hebrew that speaks of completion and fullness, something coming to its fullness. A week, a full week is seven days. Um, there's many other sevens, as you know, in the Bible. Um, but those seven years, it's in, in the wisdom of God and the love of God. He wants to prepare a table before us in the presence of our enemies. He wants us to be able to go sit and consume a feast right in front of what the enemy has been doing and is doing but what do you need in order to go to a feast you need an appetite you need a big appetite you need to be really hungry and you just see how God in our own lives and here again in this story he waits for the fullness of time he waits for the appetite to increase to the direct proportion of the level of feast that he wants us to consume in the presence of our enemies. So if you're experiencing some delay in specific areas of your heart and life, just let your appetite continue to just grow. It is in proportion directly to what God intends to give you and do for you. So... The Midianites, the reality is if Moses' generations before had wiped out this enemy, there wouldn't be a need for Gideon to do it himself. But God, this is what, how it helps us, but God as our redeemer uses our weakness, even our sin and the enemy to bring us more into the knowledge of God for the purpose of intimacy with him. It's not about our sin, our weakness, or the latest expression of the enemy. And because that's usually what's in our face, we're reaping the consequences of sin in our own lives or sin from someone else that's affecting us or a way that the enemy has come against us. And we, that's all we can see because it's just right in front of us. And it comes with such earthiness, physical pain or emotional pain. And it's just all we can see. And I just want to encourage you that 
It's never about that. It's never about your sin that's been dealt with. Other people's sin has been dealt with. It's not about even the enemy because the enemy's already been dealt with. It's about you and me and God. People are always the center of his stories. Not what the enemy's doing, not what's right here. And sometimes he calls us to back away from it and look at it from a little bit of a, of a distance emotionally and see it for what it is. This is just, that's one of those like mama heart of God things that I, I'm feeling right now. Like the strife and the conflict that is very close to us right now, collectively as a society and then in our own individual stories, that is not the story. The strife and the conflict is not the story. Our story, like Israel's story, is never about the enemy. It's about us and God. So, God waited for the fullness of time for Gideon's misery and frustration to settle in so that he finally realized something was missing, something was broken, so that his desperation would rise to the proportion of what God wanted to deliver into his hands. I'm just gonna tell you the story. You've probably heard it before, but um, it's in Judges 6. Gideon is um, threshing wheat in the wine press, hiding. And typically the way you hear this story, which I'm sure an aspect of this is true and correct, but you usually hear it as the Lord goes into where Gideon was hiding and says, you mighty man of valor, almost like sarcastically. And maybe there was some sarcasm in his voice, I don't know. But I, I've experienced this story a little differently, and I want to shed some light on it. Let me give you a little bit more back, background here. Because of Israel's oppression, the Midianites, that constant conflict, they made for themselves, the Israelites made for themselves dens, caves, and strongholds in the mountains. So the decade that we are going into has driven us into the mountains. Dens speak of channels. I looked into this a little bit. Channels, they were ways to get around inside the mountains because they were so oppressed by the Midianites. They had no, uh, they would literally come through their land and trample everything. They had no provision left. Again, it was still about this idea of God as provider. And they had no sustenance. Their animals were dying. Their crops were dying. And so they made these channels inside of the mountains to get around. For our purposes, covertly. We're in the mountains. I mean, we have to be because we have to have jobs and interact with the world some, you know. But this is driving us into actually being able to navigate 
with intentionality navigate within the mountains. Caves are caverns. Caverns are places uh, not only to hide, but for, for them, for the Israelites, it was where they did life. In these caverns, these caves. We are learning to do life, not like just show up for a job and then hurry back to church because that's all that really matters. We're learning that God cares about what we care about, which is what's going on in our communities and our workplaces and our areas of culture. And then it also, the Midianites drove them into uh, places in the, in the mountains. They, they created as strongholds, which were a fortress, a military storehouse, places to defend yourself. So I believe that the Lord is going to give us wisdom and places of defense. And, and I, uh, I love people like Ravi Zacharias who know how to give proper defense to, um, to very important theological matters, matters that are respected and understood by theologians. I believe we're gonna have places of defense for what we believe and why we believe it and why it makes sense to believe in a God and in a God who actually cares and loves us. Um, another enemy decided to come along with the Midianites, and that enemy was called the Amalekites. Again, this is so prophetic for this decade that we are in right now. The Amalekites means pure evil, the given over ones. Pure evil, the given over ones. Again, until... God himself appears to me and tells me someone is given over and I, I can't contend for them anymore. I will contend for them. So the purpose of knowing that this is an enemy that we are contending with right now is not to be able to create more us versus them mentality. It is for the purpose of understanding this is where the enemy is showing up in so much deception in people's lives that many are being given over and they are in, in a place of partnering with pure evil. But they were made in the image of God, and they themselves are not pure evil, no matter their actions. So constant conflict and strife, pure evil, drove them into the mountains, leaving them no sustenance, no provision, with the lie that God would not provide for them, that God didn't care, that they had to take care of themselves. And now at this point in the story, I wanna to transition to my last uh, of three points, which is where we are now. Like right now, this year, prophetically where I sense we are now. In the story in Judges 6, he sent them a prophet. And the prophet said to them, I am the Lord your God. Do not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But you have not obeyed my voice. So in that one short statement, I believe God is, was speaking three distinct things to them. First, I will tell you that they... They not only were up against the Midianites and the Malachites, but they were living in the land of the Amorites. 
The Amorites means basically humanism. And humanism is ultimately the lie about God uh, that says we know better than him if he exists. And everything revolves around what we define as truth. That's my way of saying it. That also sounds familiar to this age that we live in. The three things that I believe that were being said in this, this short prophet statement to Gideon's community. Number one, God communicated in the middle of their situation. He wanted them to understand the real issue, the correct narrative. God wants us to have understanding. He wants us to know the correct narrative. Number two, he reestablished who he was to them. To you, to us, he says, I am the Lord your God. Do not fear all the rest of it. He wanted us to hear him say, what my words for this are, stop looking at everything else. This year of 2020 seeing, look at me. Be an expert on me. I'm the important piece of information. There's a lot of important information that we need to know right now. And if you're researching and finding out things, that's great. I, I don't have personally an issue with that. I am too. It is hard to find correct information sometimes. But the most important piece of information that we must keep right here in front of us is him. The truth that we have learned of who he is and what he's like, that he cares, that he's good, that he loves us, that he's been fighting for us and will continue to fight for us, that we are right on schedule with his plan for humanity, that there is no reason to panic. Life's too short to not have a love affair. We got to have a love affair with our God. And I don't want to lose a year or two or 10 to a whole bunch of drama that's going on in my lifetime and miss a love affair with my God. That will always remain forefront. Number three, part of this prophetic statement that the prophet said there, no fear. The humanism, the lies about God around you is irrelevant. Because he said to them, do not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but what you are experiencing has to do with me. For Israel, they had not obeyed his voice in this story. For us, we've also not obeyed when Jesus told us to make disciples of nations, to stop hiding in the four walls of the church and religion. You can hide in religion as well as the four walls of a church. You can either way or both. And so, you know, I, I, I think we're waking up to this reality, but that was what he was saying. The problem, if there is a problem, is that you haven't obeyed my voice. But like only God can do, we're still right on schedule. He's just wanting us to learn. He's not trying to get us to be perfect. He's growing our appetite for what's next. So he allows us to reap the consequences of choices he knew we would make and he chose not to protect us from when sometimes he does. 
so that our appetite for what he wants to do next would grow and our desperation would grow and our frustration would grow. I hate that part. <laughs> Gideon was threshing wheat in the wine press hiding. He was doing what he was supposed to do, but not where he actually had the right to be doing it. So he was doing what he was supposed to do. He was handling the wheat. But he was doing it in a place of hiding. Many of us have been doing, in the body of Christ, we're doing what we're supposed to be doing, but we've not been doing it where we're supposed to be doing it. Let your works be known before man that they may see them and glorify your Father in heaven. So we're going to take our, walk, our, uh, our works to the streets. The Lord found him and declared correctly Gideon's true identity. I don't think he was just being sarcastic. He said, you mighty man of valor. I'm going to prove it to you in a second. So the Lord himself appears as an angel to Gideon. And he had, you know, so much, this appetite within him, this frustration within him had accumulated so much that he very quickly and easily just let him have it. And he said, why has all this happened? Where are all the miracles which our fathers told us about? Because he'd heard the stories of God delivering them from Egypt. He'd heard all of the miraculous things that happened. And he said, the Lord has delivered us into the hands of Midian. He correctly perceived the narrative. God, you delivered us into our, our, our enemy's hands. Like, we didn't stumble into this. How did this happen on, on your watch? So Gideon correctly perceived the narrative and had a powerful response to it. And this is how the Lord responded to Gideon's rant. Go in this might of yours. Gideon's might his mighty man of valor identity. His might was his frustration and his desperation in the face of contradiction. Can you relate to that? <laughs> I can relate to it about 10 places in my life right now. I mean, I have far more areas to celebrate and be excited about, but I'm still very aware of the places of contradiction. And that's just my personal life. And then when you look at the big picture stage, I believe we just walked through something collectively. I, I don't know how many of you follow um, any of Bethel worship or Bethel church. Then you know that uh, they just went through something really uh, significant with the death of a two-year-old little girl named Olive um, one of the worship pastors there, uh, their, their daughter suddenly died. I don't know the details and I don't know them personally, so I don't want to speak into it too much. But like you, I'm sure watching from afar and contending and believing with them about this character and nature of God, if you don't know the story, um, when she died, the, the young parents decided that the God that they knew raises the dead. 
And they invited their, their friends and their family to begin worshiping with them. And they worshiped almost nonstop for at least five or six days. And uh, while the, the child wasn't there, the child was already taken to the morgue, but they believed and they worshiped. And they didn't do it in a way to like try to convince God of who he is. They just recognized who they knew him to be and asked God for their daughter back. And, um, you know, I feel like even that, the way that it was so public and the way that it was so broadcast globally, we all got like reinfected with this, this place of frustration in the face of contradiction. I know who you are, God. And I know biblically where we stand in truth, but yet we did not see you break through in the way that is, that is congruent with your nature and character. And we're mature enough to move forward. This young couple and the, the community at Bethel is way mature enough to move forward. And it doesn't, you know, they'll grieve, but it doesn't stumble their faith. It just invigorates it even more. Their trust and depth with God went even deeper. And I believe many in the body of Christ across the globe that walked through that from a distance with them, we felt that too. But I wanna read to you a quick definition of frustration and contradiction. See what you think. Frustration is the feeling of being, it's from the dictionary, the feeling of being upset or annoyed, especially because of an inability to change or achieve something, the prevention of the progress, success, or fulfillment of something. That's frustration. Contradiction, a combination of statements, ideas, or features of a situation that are opposed to one another. A situation in which inconsistent elements are present or the statement of a position opposite to one already made. Do you have any areas of frustration and contradiction in your life? I pray that you don't. I pray it's a time of just breakthrough in all areas. But chances are you'll have more opportunity to experience that. And I believe collectively as a generation of believers, we are needing keys to handle frustration in the face of contradiction. Because the world is watching us. And they want to know how we do it because they see this all the time too and where their turning isn't working for them. Their self-medication, their self-comfort and numbing, their, their addictions and their just pretending and embracing lies. And I put myself in that place because sometimes I'm the they. <laughs> but but they're looking to those who say they represent the heart of God and they want to know how we do it. And I believe Olive is first of many experiences where we're going to be willing in front of the whole world to face contradiction and potential disappointment, not just for the sake of what could happen and, and seeing the breakthrough, but also for the purpose of them seeing the depths 
of our, of our root system that make us unshakable in the face of change, in the face of sin still affecting the earth. Sin will still affect the earth until I believe Jesus comes back in his personal fullness. So we're pulling heaven to earth. We're bringing kingdom solutions, but we're still going to have to deal with death and sin, the effects of sin. So can we trust God when there's contradiction? Yes, we can. I'm going to give you, this is how I'm ending right now. I have five very quick keys to handling frustration in the face of contradiction. Number one, as I told you earlier, love and fear cannot exist in the same moment. So remain in love. Remain in love and remain in love, in affection. There's a song right now that just I'm like just singing over and over and over again. Write this down. You're going to want to find this song on YouTube. It's by Travis Green, G-R-E-E-N-E. Travis Green is called Good and Loved. And the tagline in it is, is God singing over us. I am good and you are loved. I am good and you are loved. And it just, it just like re-solidifies you in, in that place of, okay, I am loved. I, there's no room for fear here. How many of you have parented your kids out of a place of fear? All of us. <laughs> I have done that. And, and unfortunately, it, it has consequences. God does not parent us that way. He does not parent our brothers and sisters around us and the ones that don't yet know that they are his. He does not parent any of us from a place of fear or panic or worry. Sometimes I wish that he would. I want to look at his face and see his concern over things I'm concerned about. <laughs> like, please, Get worried or something, you know? It's like, just love. And there's no just love. You know, in the story of the prodigal, the father, this story was told so that we would have the benefit of knowing this, what this story represents to us. Okay? And in the way that he parents, and we're called to be conduits of his love as a parent for those around us. His love as a parent is seen in this story of the prodigal. He literally financed the rebellion of his son. And then he goes and waits at the end of the road. So we're the older brother. We're not Father God. The older brother in this story did not have the advantage of the story that we have. He did not know the heart of his father. Therefore, he didn't go to wait at the end of the road with him. God is inviting you and I right now to the end of the road because he is down there planning, preparing celebrations of celebrations for the harvest, for the prodigals that are coming back, and for, for, for collective people groups that are going to be coming back to him. He literally financed our rebellion when he gave us free will. He gave us our inheritance prematurely, knowing how we would spend it. 
And yet he waits in the most powerful position of all. It's never just love, just love. You're not a victim when you just love. The father is never a victim. He waits in the most powerful position of all, which is the position of unconditional love. And love is not just a a theory or a concept or a good spiritual idea. Love is the very essence and power of who and what he is. And so love, because it's an essence, it's a substance, it's something that is, it goes out and it seeks out like like water from the Father's throne, the river of, of life that comes from the Father's throne. Water seeks out the lowest possible place. It can get through any crack or crevice that even halfway exists to hit its mark, the lowest place. His love seeks out to hit its mark and it, where it was intended to land. And when you are hit with the love of God, you are entranced to follow it back to its source. So when we wait at the end of the road with the Father in that place of unconditional love, with the help of the Holy Spirit, knowing what does love look like today in this situation or for this person or in this area of culture, what does being a conduit of his love look like? Sometimes it's nice and sometimes it's stern, but it's love, it's unconditional acceptance. It's what they are crying out for. It's what they're so angry with us about. Why won't you accept us the way we are? And then like a kid, in our brokenness, we'd find more ways to be more broken and more like, will you love me now? What if I do this? Will you still love me? Will you still accept me? Will you tolerate me? Those words should not scare us. We should come on stronger. Yes, we do. You are welcome here. You are welcome in my family. You're welcome in my church. You're welcome in my community. However you want to be. We don't have to agree on everything for me to accept you. I feel like I I have some clarity on whether that choice you're making is God's original intention for you and our, our world or not. But it's irrelevant because I love you. Let's do relationship. He waits in the most powerful position of all. He's not a victim because his love is actually accomplishing something. It's impossible for it not to be accomplishing something. Let's sit in the best seat of all at the end of the road and wait with him. Actively, unconditional love. Number two, key to handling frustration in the face of contradiction, do what you've been taught You have been taught, mentored deliberately with great intention by Holy Spirit your entire life. So figure out what tools you've been given for this time. He's been adding to you. Year after year, he's been giving you tools, knowing you would need them for what is next. Figure out what they are and use them. Use them. Use them specifically in the places of greatest contradiction and frustration. If he's taught you how to worship, use it. If he's taught you how to prophesy, prophesy. If he's taught you how to be a person of rest and peace in the face of a storm, then then be steadfast. Those things he's added to you, use those tools. I think of like a mechanic. A mechanic uses tools. Well, mechanics, their shop is not pretty. 
they're a mess and they've got dirt all over their hands, but they've got very specific tools for very specific problems in an engine. And God has given us tools that we just have to like keep going back to those tools. Take personal inventory. Take a week. Sometimes just take a week and say, okay, God, this week, Holy Spirit, I just want to hear from you. What are the tools I'm not using right now that I need to be using for this situation, this contradiction, this area of frustration? And you're not using the tools necessarily to fix anything. You don't even have to know exactly what they're accomplishing because he's fighting for you. When I was a school teacher, I uh, had a classroom before I had my first daughter. And this classroom door had a little bitty window on it kind of up high. So the kids weren't even really that aware of this window in the door because they were really short. And um, they would... I'd have to go to the restroom or go run an errand or something, and I would leave however many kids, like 30 kids in a room alone, third graders, kind of scary. And so I would remind them before I left, this is your opportunity for obedience. This is your opportunity for obedience. And I'll be right back. So I'd go out, and I'd, you know, typically, like, leave, and then I'd look through the, the window where they couldn't see me seeing, watching them and watch the dynamics of what was happening. It may seem like he's distant, but he's not. It's our opportunity for obedience. Number three, keep your story in context, the context of the bigger story, the bigger narrative. Progress is happening. Nothing is wasted in the kingdom story. He ties up every loose end. And you know what? You don't have to be all the things. You don't have to have victory in every area of your life, and I'm just going to go ahead and tell you, you won't. There are going to be some things left undone. And the good news is that Proverbs 31 woman is all of us. And it's not just all of us. It's every generation. It's the bride of Christ. Collectively, we got it going on. Collectively, we are without spot and blemish, and we are worthy of the bridegroom who is Jesus. So take off any unnecessary pressure off yourself. You don't have to tie up every loose end. He ties up every loose end. Number four, value your own journey. You are people that value the prophetic. You value prophetic voices. You value this ministry of Elijah list. But, but I think we would all agree that your own journey is just as important as others and leaders in the body of Christ, their journeys and what they're hearing. Know your season with God and invest accordingly to what season you're in. You are worth investing your own attention and time in. Each one of you has something very real and significant with God. I say this, I said it last year, I say it everywhere we go, I just feel the mother heart of God in that. Like you're important it's great that you know how to honor leaders. It's great that you want to hear the prophetic voices and the next thing that they're getting prophetically. Continue to value that. But value what you get directly from your papa even more. And hopefully what you're hearing is echoed in, in the other voices. Jesus died so that you could have this direct line yourself. And lastly... Daniel, his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you know the story. They wouldn't bow to other gods, and they were thrown into fire. 
Interestingly enough, Gideon, who represents this decade, but now we're talking about right now, Gideon's father's name was Joash, and he was a descendant of, I'm going to say this wrong, but Abiezer, Abiezer, something like that. Joash means fire of God, and Abiezer means father of help. So this fire and this help was in the lineage of Gideon. And interestingly enough, I, I, I believe that this is a season of fire, and we are going into a season of having to step into the heat, the fire. But our Father is the God of fire, and he's here to help us. And so the last key to handling frustration in the face of contradiction is the response that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had when they were thrown into the fire. They said, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us. So they knew the correct nature and character of their God. And so much so, they were wanting to declare it. They were putting God's reputation and theirs on the line for all to see. The God that we know is gonna show up and deliver us. But if he doesn't, But if not, let it be known. We will not bow. Let it be known. This is your key to facing contradiction and the frustration that comes with it. It's finding your own let it be known. Have it clear within yourself. What is your statement of let it be known? I have some very specific to some areas in my life right now where I'm seeing tremendous contradiction. But I am very steadfast on my God will deliver me, but if not, let it be known. This is unchangeable. This is my reality all the way to my last breath, period. No matter if it goes even further in contradiction. This is the God that I know. Let it be known. And you let it be known to your own heart. You let it be known to the people around you. You let it be known, more importantly, in the spirit realm. We are collectively and many individually in this place of tremendous tension, of contradiction and frustration. But as a generation of sons and daughters of God, we say, let it be known. This is the God that we know. He wants to partner with all of us in bringing heaven to earth. He wants to give us amazing, phenomenal solutions for these horrible problems that are all around us. And nothing is too big for our God. Let it be known that if we're completely wrong and it just gets worse and worse and then we just all roll into the sea and then he comes back, he's good, he cares, he loves us. He's giving us an appetite if you're in a place of frustration, allow it to build. 
as painful as it is spiritually, emotionally, even physically, let your appetite build knowing that it's all so that you might consume a feast in the presence of his enemy. You can stand, and I just want to pray over you. Thank you for just letting me take my time to go through all of that. Thank you. Holy Spirit, I just pray for um, people that are hearing this message, whether they're in this room or online or listening at another time and date, Pray for your comfort, for your peace, for your spotlight, just to shine on those places of painful frustration and contradiction. And I thank you, God, that we can be honest and real with you. We can be raw and authentic at even the anger that sometimes we, we may feel towards you when you haven't stepped in like we've longed for you to step in or your timing has been different than we thought it should be, in areas of just profound, profound disappointment and pain, would you just expose right now even areas that that, that frustration and that pain has um, morphed into anger and rage? Would you bring clarity to the root system of that, that that we would get deliverance from that, that we would feel um, permission to just be sad and disappointed. Thank you for giving us permission to just expose those places to you right now so that you can come in with your, your shalom, that you can come in with your love that dispels and disperses fear. I, I just release um, into every heart right now the reality and the truth of how absolutely loved we are. And we stand up in the spirit realm in the face of everything that would tell us otherwise. And we say, you're a lie. You're a consequence of sin in the earth, but you are not a reflection of the heart of my God. And we just let you hold us. We let you still us. We let you still our minds and our emotions and we just drink in your steeliness that part of the mother heart of God that's just going to go forward no matter what till our last breath forward with the truth of who you are and what you're like and willing to contend again and risk disappointment again and believe again because you're worth it and because you you created us to believe. You created us to, to choose forward. You created us to walk in the truth, to walk in the light. 
thank you for illuminating our path. In the midst of darkness, you illuminate our path. And we are waiting at the end of the road with you, Father, not fully understanding what that means, but knowing that you're teaching us. Thank you for the privilege of being alive right now at this time in history, in the earth, and in your kingdom, where we can be conduits of your love and your justice, where we can speak boldly truth, filled and consumed with love that makes it easy to go down. Thank you, Holy Spirit. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Papa. Amen.